Good evening, everyone. First of all, I'd like to thank very much our musicians. Kathy, is it? Such a beautiful voice. Pope Benedict says that when you hear sacred music, it's almost that you are on the fringe of divine. Because I'll explain that reason why. Because that's part of my, what I'm going to be talking to you today. And when you listen to such uh, a prayerful voice, you feel so moved that you can almost, as if like that woman who was ill, went and touched the fringe of the cloak of Jesus. So thank you for that moment. With your beautiful voice, you praised God and so beautifully your hands rolled on the keyboard. Whatever your name is, thank you. Wonderful. Praised be the name of the Lord. Both now and forever. Amen. As we begin this, you are already begin with a prayer, so I don't want to uh, begin with another prayer. We will pray at the end, which will be more meaningful. So, I'm going to speak to you today. My, my talk will be briefly around the significance of Ash Wednesday. Now, we are almost 12 days into Lent. And moving from Ash Wednesday, I will take up the first Sunday of Lent as well. And as we move from Ash Wednesday to first Sunday of Lent, I want to include in my understanding, what is this Lent about? What must I do during Lent? Why should we have Lent? And that's what I want to, I want to speak to you today about. Okay. Are you all okay with that? Uh, when you get bored or something, you can say, Father, we are fed up. We'll listen to another praise and worship and we pray, and then we can come back to the talk. Okay? Yeah. Good. And whenever you feel like there's a moment, there's a hymn or something that comes which will beautifully fit the meaning, you can always come in. We're not, we're not going to be regimental. Hmm? We're not going to be regimentalized. Okay, let me begin with the story of my... Uh, it's a story means it's a real-life experience. Some years ago, many years ago, when I was much younger, I had just graduated, and a friend of mine was a Hindu. And we were working together in a particular place. And so I was going on telling him, I have to go this evening, today is Ash Wednesday, I have to go to Mass. And so he said, man, from morning you are going on, I have to go to Mass, I have to go to Mass. If you want to take leave and go. <laughs> Pardon me. So, talking about Ash Wednesday, I said, no, it's an important day. And when ash is smeared on our head and things like that. So, he came to Mass with me, finally, to find out what's happening in the church today. And he's a Hindu, he has never been inside a church before. And then when I went up to get my forehead smeared in ash, he came along with me. He said, shall I come? And the Hindus are quite used to having the uh, whatever, no? On their, yes, on their forehead. So he came with me and we together went up and then he heard the priest saying, you are dust and to dust you will descend. He came back totally annoyed, fully flushed. And he couldn't believe that he was going up for a blessing. That's what he thought. And in his uh, custom, they burn the body after you die. And so he will become ash. And so for him it was a great curse. It was a great curse. He felt, no, he not only as a shock, but he felt it as a curse that he was going up for a blessing and some bad omen befell on him. That the priest actually said that you are going to die and you will be like this ash. Sometimes we Christians go up there and, you know, 
prayerfully, thinking something, it's like a sacrament, something is being smeared on my head, and we come away happy. And some of them take that ash in the pocket and go, and they want to do it throughout the period of Lent, without realizing what is the significance of that. What is the meaning? That we are going to die, and that we will be returned to the dust. I think that particular incidence at that time did not make any significance to me. But later on, many years later, when I reflected in a retreat about sin and death, then I realized the true significance. Of course, now we have alternative antiphons, which we say repent and turn to the gospel. But at the very heart of having this ash smeared on our foreheads is that, that we are going to die. We're all going to die one day or the other. In fact, in Italy, when I went to, as a priest to, on Ash Wednesday to serve at Mass, the priest told me you should not take the ash and put on the forehead. In Italian custom, they don't touch the person with the ash. In England, of course, they smear the ash on the forehead. In Italy, they take a bit of the ash and put it on their forehead. And the person bows the head down and the ash is just dropped on the forehead. Which brings us straight back to the very heart of the beginning of the book of Genesis. And there we find that God drew us out of the dirt, the mud, and breathed his life into us. Now, among all creatures, why is it that we are so different? Why is God, why are, why are human beings so important? You know, when we read the book of Genesis, we should not read the book in a literal fashion. What is the literal fashion? Just take the words exactly as they are. Now in the Bible, the Bible is not one book. I hope you know that, no? It's a collection of books written by various authors from different centuries, nonetheless inspired by the Holy Spirit. So in that writing, there are different styles or genre. That means different... Uh, Types of writing. Now, like for instance, if you read the newspaper report, it's a type of writing. Will that be same like a novel, fiction? No. Will that be same like a biology textbook? No. Or will that be same like a, a journal or a magazine? They're all different styles of writing. If you buy a poetry book, there's a total different style of writing. So, this particular genre of writing in the first three, four chapters of Genesis is a particular kind. Now, nobody was sitting and seeing the Lord and reporting. It's not a newspaper report as the creation was taking place. Many years after the creation, the, Christian, the Jewish community reflected upon God and in the understanding of God wrote the, the words inspired by the Holy Spirit but in human words. And so, beyond the literal meaning, there are other meanings. And that's what we're going to do a little bit today. One of those meanings is, why are human beings so special? We find in that, in that narrative, in Genesis, God created all other things, and his word he said, and then they were. But for human beings... He was personally involved. He took what? Dirt. And he fashioned them with his hands. That's what the Bible says. And then he breathed his own breath and created us in his own image and likeness. Now she was singing, worthy is the lamb. If the lamb is worthy, then we who are in the image and likeness of God are called to that worthiness. We are called to that worthiness. We have a dignity that we are in the image and likeness of God. Second, 
out of being drawn out of that mud and dirt and being made human. God, of all creatures in the Garden of Eden, only seeks a relationship. He's speaking only to Adam and Eve. He seeks a relationship with human beings. That means beyond that dignity that came to us from outside, there is an intrinsic dignity that God is there, that somehow he wants a relationship with you and me. So although we are of the dirt and one day we will die and descend to dirt, but we have some other mark that is beyond just death, that God wants a, a relationship with you and me. And what kind of relationship? Intimate. Hit the nail on the head. Anybody? Love relationship. Anything else? Yeah, intimate relationship. Anything? A permanent relationship. What is a permanent relationship? That means? No death. In the original vision of God, in the Garden of Eden, there is no death. He wanted a permanent image and likeness of God. He wanted a permanent relationship with us. And thirdly, from that very same scripture that we read into the New Testament, and which some people read as in the Genesis, it's a promise that God became one among us. Although we rejected that permanent relationship and we wanted to die by sin, God did not leave us, but he said, I will make you mine. I will still have you in a permanent relationship with me, that he exalted human relationship, human beings, to a dignity that he himself thought it that worthy is the lamb, thought himself worthy to even become a human. So how much more worthy are we human beings? Do you understand the, the reading of the text and the... Okay. When such being the case, what is it that led to this saying that on Ash Wednesday... The priest puts smears ash on your head and says, you are dust and you will return to dust. <coughs> Corrupt. I believe in the resurrection of the body. Have you heard that word? Where is it said? Ah, in the creed. Forgotten the creeds. It's true that we will descend and we will be corrupted. But God will give us new bodies. But what is it that made us die? Sin. And what is sin? To understand the sin and how this Lent is going to affect us, I want to move from Ash Wednesday to the first Sunday of Lent. And we'll come back to Ash Wednesday. And it'll see how it can contour and color the entire practice of Lent for us. Okay? So, in the first Sunday of Lent, every year we listen to the readings of the... Ah, there's one good Catholic in this congregation. <laughs> <coughs> the temptation of Jesus. Okay. What is this temptation? We'll come back to Genesis to understand the temptation again. Because in Genesis also there was a temptation. Right? Yes. Now we are seeing the temptation of the Lord. Now what is this temptation here? The first temptation. Convert these stones into bread. But what does the... Can we have a reading of that? Because we might miss many of the... The key... If you open to... Matthew chapter 4. 
Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We'll go back to it later. So what were the words? It's not just turned by bread into stones into bread. What did the tempter actually say? If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. If you are the anointed one. If you are the Messiah. If you are the Messiah, what you must do? Command this. So, the devil is defining what kind of Messiah Jesus should be. If you are the son of God, you must not miss out that. He's not just turn the stones into bread. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. That means if you are the Messiah, feed the people. There are many types of hunger in the world today. And is it good hunger? No. It's hung, if it's good, if, if your hunger is good, if you say that I am going to fast, I don't want to eat this, and then you say hunger is good. But hunger is not good for a little child who has no food, who goes to bed hungry. Now what the devil is saying, if you are the Messiah, bring an end to hunger. Feed the people. And then they will accept you as they are. Messiah. You will not be savior of the world, it will be savior of the bread. Hmm? Or rice or whatever. So this is what the devil is challenging Jesus. He himself was feeling this personal hunger because of the fasting that he was going through. And always you remember, we will be tempted when we are most vulnerable. We will be tempted when we are the most vulnerable. And the devil is saying now to Jesus, if you are the son of God, bring an end to this hunger. But what, what did, why did Jesus, you know, Jesus fed the hungry, no? He said, give them something to eat. Where will they find food? But why did Jesus not uh, turn the bread into, the stones into bread? Why did Jesus not turn the stones into bread? Huh. So why didn't... Human beings can't live on bread alone, huh? <laughs> okay, she's making using the inclusive language. <laughs> Already we have a translator of a new version of the Bible. <laughs> okay. But it is what is what he said is man does not live by bread alone. What does this live mean? What does this live we are talking about? Life. The life that God has given to us is life without end. That life cannot come by eating bread alone. Jesus didn't want to be a, that kind of Messiah who's just if you end, end hunger in the world. It's not going to solve the problems of the world. What is at the very heart of the world? Sin. So Jesus, what the devil is trying to do is it's trying to delude the Savior and make him choose another mission. You come to solve the problems of the world. Do it by feeding the people. If all the people were fed and if sin was not overcome, this life which God has promised. This permanent relationship that God has promised for us will not be fulfilled. Because sin and life cannot be together. The wages of sin is death. God cannot be in the presence of sin. Imagine if God cannot be in the presence of sin and then I take, close my eyes and think nobody's here and I look at myself. What would happen to me? What would happen to me 
I would have been that first Adam or Eve. Isn't it? Our default position is sin. Even without being vulnerable, we will choose. The flick of a hand, we might choose to do sin. And therefore, when we look at ourselves, we understand how deep that meaning is. Jesus says, no, my mission is not just to feed the hungry. Although it was part of his mission, it's part of the church, and we ought to do that. But that is not the central mission of Jesus. That's not what he came for. And he says, this is not enough. Man does not live by bread alone. He does not deny that there is no need for bread. But this is not my mission. Second temptation. Can we hear the words again from scripture? <coughs> Please listen attentively again to how the tempter's words are quoted in scripture. And how the, the tempter itself is quoting scripture. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to test. Thank you. Are you getting the nuances now? In the light of the things that we are seeing there, the, the New Testament reading. For it is written, you are the son of God, and if you jump... Now, when the devil took Jesus to the pinnacle, what does the pinnacle of the temple represent? Power. Status. What else? It's all the present world wants to aspire for. It's all, the, all that the present world wants to aspire for. It has, if you see recently, we saw the, uh, what is that, Oscars. No? And when Oscars is telecast, I'm sure most of you would not have watched. I did not. But most of the world would have sat up and watched the so all the people who are in the social strata of the elite, those who have power, status, fame, name, all those people would have been there, wearing their diamonds and their gold and their anything and everything. Being at the pinnacle of the temple meant, meant that. The glitterati of society. The elite, the creme de la creme of society. That means, in another word, when God created human beings, he created all of them equal, male and female. There was no difference between them. But the devil came in and made this difference. Now you are better than the other. It told that to whom first? Whom did it tell that? Cain. Why is your brother... And immediately what it leads to? Murder. Again going contra life, against life. So, the devil promises Jesus to be, it promises something very materialistic. I always tell people, the youngsters today, where do they flock? Huh? Malls. The malls are the new temples, mm, the new basilicas, no? That's where everybody go. In the olden days, they used to all come to church. Church used to gather the biggest crowd of young people. Now they are in the malls. And who is the new gods? All the things that they, is on sale over there. They think that if I have that, then my life will be good. Pope Francis is saying that you buy a phone today. Fortunately, I've not brought my phone. It's in the car. So if I buy this phone, this latest phone, before I can even enjoy this phone, within six months, another model comes and I'm unsatisfied with this. Hmm? 
So all this materialistic understanding of the world. You know, in the olden times, uh, in the philosophical movement of the world, just to understand human thought, in the olden times, in the classical period, the center of the universe was of all people's understanding. The center was the divinity, God, whomever they called it. In the classical period, God was in the center and man was the crown of creation and all of the things revolved around this God. As it went on, and we come to the 16th century, then the philosophical movement begins with Descartes saying, Descartes is a philosopher who is attributed to modern philosophy, he says, cogito ergo sum, that means, I think, therefore, I am. So who comes in the center? I am. I. So man became center and God was pushed to the side. That means Logos was there, but he was inspiring us, but I became. And this humanism led to all this culture and art and, you know, development that human beings believed that they could become anything. So music, we had the geniuses of music at that time. Sculpture, human naked body of the human being was sculpted because they thought this human being is so much to be glorified. And that finally, after two, three centuries, a German philosopher whose name is, anybody knows? Huh? He brings a close to the, close to the, uh, the modern movement, says, God is dead, man is Superman. Nietzsche. Say somebody went, a Christian went to Nietzsche's grave and said, Nietzsche is dead, God lives. Something like that. <laughs> so Nietzsche brought the end of the modern philosophy by saying that God is dead. This is the human thinking, human understanding. So when man became the center of everything, it became the pinnacle. But we have moved from that and we have come into post-modernity and now we are in a period uh, in post-modernity where they say we cannot know the truth. There's no point in thinking about God or no God. We cannot arrive at that truth. And people say now we have moved away from that and we have come to an era of post-truth. No? Fake news becomes the... There's no truth. You can say whatever you want as long as you are able to convince the other person that's the truth. Anyway. This is the human world. And in this pinnacle of the world, of politics, of success, of materialistic well-being, that's where the devil wants Jesus to be. That's why he took him to the pinnacle of the temple. And there, sitting on the top over there, it says, nothing can bring you down. It's like the man who built 12 barns and said, I'll fill my barns and I'll be happy. What? Rest my soul and be happy. For you have enough and more. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord to the test. Again, in Genesis, in the creation story, so God asks man to, to cultivate preserve the world. He, doesn't, he makes him as a steward of the earth to look after. Not to take everything to myself and sit on the top and say that I have everything and nothing can bring me down. Jesus has refuted such a temptation. Today, when we accumulate things, when we think that we'll be happy if I buy that particular iPad, or this particular uh, refrigerator, or that particular... I'll come to that in a bit in my last closing part of it. That we are also consumed in a consumeristic mentality that we think that we need all of these things to be happy and live a good life. Think about it for a moment. What is the first thing we do in the morning? Recently, I've read some statistics, and they say 
one of the largest users of internet in the world live in Bangalore city. So as soon as we get up in the morning, what do we do? We don't reach out first to the phone and see what's, what's happening in my little world. No, we go on our knees and pray to the Lord. Isn't it? Huh? And we who are committed Christians, who want to spend time with the Lord, if you are like this, what's happening in the rest of the world? This is the pinnacle that I'm talking about. And that's why what we are, the exercises, the classical exercises of Lent that is proposed by the fathers of the church is becoming relevant. We'll understand it better. Okay. Shall we go on to the third one? Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Good. Thank you very much. So, you will be a king after, the, after my servant David, and your reign will not come to an end. This was the prophecy of Jesus, for Jesus, no? You will be a king after my servant David, and your, but your reign will never come to an end. Okay. In all these refusals, Jesus, you must remember, refused those things that will bring peace, lasting joy, and life. That's why Jesus refuted all of those. Now, what is this? This particular sin is very central. This particular temptation is central to the human story. It is the model of sin after all other sins. This is the sin that is imprinted on every sin. Let's take, go back to Genesis. I like to go back to Genesis because that's our root. And there we will find the story of the temptation. No? What do we hear there? What is the first sin? Yeah, what is that sin? Disobedience. Okay? All of us in our penny catechism, we have learned first sin is disobedience. Can we go back and read it once more? Go to Genesis chapter 3. Now this... Stop. What does it say? Listen to the craftiness of the devil. Always the devil, when the temptation is very strong, one of the signs that to know that you are being tempted is this reasoning. If you are the son of God. For it is written in the Bible that even if you jump, angels will minister to you. And so, now it said, did God actually tell you not to eat anything? If you take a frog and put it in hot water, what it will do? It will jump right out. But if you take a frog and put it in cold water and you light a fire under slowly, then the frog will not jump out. It doesn't know it's getting cooked. It's like us. Slowly we will do all sorts of reasoning. Uh, this is the reason. We can give a little in there. And that one, okay. And tick that box, and tick that box, and finally say, okay, this one time it's all right. I don't know whether you're smiling is because whether you're agreeing with what I'm saying. <laughs> <coughs> but think about it very seriously. When we go into sin, it's true for all of us, including me. I might be wearing a white cassock, but we're all sinners. 
The Bible says, if anybody says that I have no sin in me, he's a liar. So we have to accept that. So we know that when we go to sin, we are reasoning and justifying. So first, did God tell you not to eat? How innocuous. Let's continue to hear that reading. This is all part of that bargaining that we do within us. We should not think of that from outside of us. This is the bargaining that's happening there, but in ourselves also we are, when we are sinning, we are making the decision, moral decision, this discernment, this bargaining goes on in us, this discussion. No? Good. Convincing ourselves or saying, justifying it. It's okay. It's because of this. It's because of that. I'm a poor child. I didn't get enough love there. So I didn't get enough cuddles there, so it's okay for this time, no? Okay, continue. Now listen carefully, huh? Go back and read that line again. Thank you. Now what is the sin? What are the tempter actually saying? Did the tempter say disobey God? What did the tempter say? You will be like God. What is that? To be like God? He's saying not to be like Jesus, all I want to be like Jesus. Is it not to be like God? Is that what the devil is saying? The devil is tempting us to become God. What does that sin for us? Right. Huh? Right. No. Let me give you a Latin word for it. Then you may be able to guess it. This is from the Summa of. I'm a theologian who teaches theology and philosophy and biology. So I always bring all these academic things into me. It's boring to tell. Thomas Aquinas says that the worship that is due to God is in Latin, the word is called as latria. No? The worship that is due to God is called latria. If the worship that is due to God is called latria, and that worship you give to somebody else or something else, then it's called as idolatry. A prefix of idolatry. I got What did the devil tell Jesus today? If you, I will give you all the divine universe if you fall down and worship. Idolatry. That's the simple thing. And idolatry in the book of Genesis is not worshipping the devil. When I make myself into a God, then I, that becomes idolatry. And remember this, why did I say this is the model of sin? Because every time you know that the Lord will not want this, the Lord will not desire it, and we say, no, I have control over my life, I make myself into a God, and I decide to go against the will of God. We are reminded, you will have only one God. You shall love the Lord your God and worship Him alone. And then we come to the total understanding of what should I do to be. What is this then that I need to be? Sin is at the very heart of going against the plan of God for us. 
who created us out of love, and he wants us a permanent, in a permanent relationship with him. In a never-ending relationship with him. But we have the choice of saying no because we are created in the image and light of God, we are free will, and therefore we can say, I don't want your life. That's what we do in this. But God offers us, God did not leave us in that situation. He came down to become one among us and to reveal the Father's love for us. And that is why He refused the entire universe. He could have been a king after the name of David, but His kingdom would have not have lasted if He had chosen that kingdom. That's why Jesus chose a different type of kingdom in which Pontius Pilate received Him as King. And that kingdom will have no end. Each one of us are called to that reign of God. Now, how can we participate in that reign of God? How can we participate in that, that kingdom of God? The first temptation. First temptation is about the attitudes. I told you there's many kinds of hunger. There is hunger for bread, but there is hunger for that, there is hunger for other pleasures, there is hunger for buying things and collecting things. So, the three main things that the fathers of the church have, classical practices of Lent, three classical practices of Lent that have come down the tradition of the church. The first thing is fasting, second is prayer, and the third one is fasting. Now when we think about fasting, we can fast not only from food. There are so many appetites that we can fast from. What am I doing when I'm fasting? I'm saying, Lord, I love you more than this hunger. You are more important to me than this bread alone is not important to me. I you have a, I have a greater value in my life. Among all the hierarchy of things in my life, Lord, you are the most important person for me. Therefore, I will forego these appetites. It is not only fasting from food. It is good to fast from food. It helps us to have a discipline. But we have to fast from the other appetites. Fast from anger. Fast from instantly resolving my my issue, I think something is right and I intervene and I put down that person. Fast <coughs> from unforgiving attitudes, resentment, bitterness. Fast from not being reconciled to somebody whom I, I dislike. If God did not reconcile itself with us, our whole Lord would have gone to Hades. We'd all be lost. But even when we were in sin, God took the first step to reconcile Himself to us. It is His initiative. So this fasting helps us to help God in some way, to show us and to keep us in the center of our mind that among all the appetites I have, Lord, my first appetite is for you. We have to cultivate and make this a habit. That Jesus of Nazareth who reveals the face of God you are the center of everything. You are my primary. You are the first and most important of my life. And I will give everything up for you. How beautiful. Second. Pray. <coughs> When Jesus quoted, the scripture was quoted to Jesus in the second temptation, Jesus prayed the scripture. Man does not, I mean, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. Now, one of the things that we, we do about praying is that it often tries to put the Lord to the test. When we have a great need of something, we go to prayer. And sometimes we can neglect prayer. Sometimes even though we are praying, they are not all there. They are not present. It's not important for them. And the Lord who loves us, 
the psalmist who says, Oh Lord, my God, how excellent your name is. When I look at the sun and the moon and the stars and all the universe and the birds and the earth and the water, and I look at all of these things and I wonder what you ever saw in mere human beings that you loved human beings so much. Now, if you look at science and you see the entire universe, where you go beyond, beyond, and the sun is only a speck, which is a billions and billions of times larger than us. What is it that we believe of a speck in this universe, that not even like a grain of sand? But the Lord chose to love us. In His ageless God, there is no planet. This blade of grass that comes in the morning and dies in the evening. What is it that you saw in human beings that he loves them so much? And so, it's our time that God loves us and we have to respond to this love by spending time with God. If you, if you have a friend, especially if you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you won't spend all your time with that person. Somebody, somebody for a mother. I know I am a endurance, no? So I, most of the months come and tell me, it's so difficult father to leave the child at home. Because they love the child, they want to be with the child. They want to waste their time with the person whom they love. So if you are truly in love with God, you will spend time with God. That's great. That means when I get up first thing in the morning, I don't reach out for my pinnacle to see my world. <laughs> But I go on my knees and say, you are the most important one for me. That is my pinnacle. Is it in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior? Or is it in things? But our actions should speak louder than words. Where is my pinnacle? Where will I be? If I am given the word, where will I choose to be? And this brings us that the often times we go on our knees, and I, I said, I don't take away, we don't have to go on our knees. We can sit in your bed and be totally in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. But instead of you go back and pack your Bible, read the Word of God. Rediscover the rosary. There's a Jesus prayer. Jesus, my Lord and Savior. You have died and redeemed the word for my sake. For any word from the, from the gospel which appeals to you, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on you. Isn't Jesus? We repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And why we do it as a mantra, so we become a habitual in every definition by habit. Thomas Aquinas says it's the practice of virtue is to make virtue your habit. So when you make that habit, then you will. By default, choose what is right. You choose the law of And the third one is asking. And if you compare it to the temptation and idolatry, no? Idolatry is the temptation. And you compare it with that idolatry, just going in the car and somebody comes and knocks on the window, you give him 10 rupees. That's not asking. That is getting rid of the problem for the moment. Go away. <laughs> Next time you go to the shop to buy something, something that you can afford to buy, and something that's the right price for you, and you choose it, you will let it go down one step and buy a lower one. And feel the pain of buying something that you actually want to buy and you're not going to buy it. The money you save from that, give to somebody who is it. If you have all the balance in your mind, the cousin teaching on ownership of private properties, you have a right to private property. But the use of private properties for the good, common good of everybody. There's somebody in your parish who cannot access health care and you're stopping the piles of money in the bank, then the Lord will look up to you and say, My dear man, what are you doing? Woman, what are you doing? This is the radicality of Christianity, I will tell you. I'm sorry if I say this, but this is the truth about Christianity. It's my bars are full. Almsgiving is 
This is my plan to be, my Lord. Strike at the root of anger in my heart. To give to it first. If there's a girl child in our community who's not being educated, you know, when I was a new priest, full of vigor and ambition and all of these things, and I went next to as you go to the slums to be a good priest, no? Twice a week, till I was born like a Bajranga, that I would break my legs and So I went to the But the thing that I discovered there as a priest, I come, I finished all my studies in Europe. I was working before that. I've never been to Islam. I lived in Bangalore. Only after I became a priest, first time I stepped my foot inside Islam. Has anybody been here to Islam? The wretchedness of it, the stench, and a single living accommodation, a little place with all people sleeping and bugs. You sit on the bed and you know, white cassock is, is like a, a surgical strike. You know, <laughs> See what happens. And then one child is happening with tuberculosis. You, know, you want to reject everything. And then I would be going at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. No? At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'll have my breakfast, my mid-morning snack and juice or whatever it is, lunch, and I'll have tea before I go and visit. And there's a little child who's had nothing since morning. And this is the reality of our situation. And I think we're all good Christians when we keep our mind balances hard and fix up the process and all our activities. The teaching of the church is that if there's somebody who is in your midst and you are holding your perpetual perpetrator of the So we have to share. I don't want to say how much you can share. It's left up to your conscience, but you must give a little to those who are somebody. Make a difference in somebody's life. That's something. There's a girl child in your marriage who cannot go to school, transform the child's life by giving education. You know, when I was a seminary teacher in Bhakti Bhavan, I used to take some little boys from the orphanage to the jail. They were children of their parents, but I don't want to go into the details of the case. Uh, it's very sensitive. And if you see the crimes that the parents have committed, you might feel atrocious, you might feel pity for their children. And that's what the jailer is so bad in the capital. A little boy was so tiny, he stood up playing hockey in France. And so there's a generosity of people like you. This is true, Auntie. This is what the Lord wants from us. Do not be the grain of wheat that is under the new diet. This is meant for us. To fast, to pray, and to give alms. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word your life-giving world, for your enormous love that you have given us. Thank you for giving yourself for our sins of the cross, that we might earn salvation without pain. Change our hearts, O Lord. Transform us. Expand the depths of our hearts so that we can reach out to you and to one another in love. Meant to be Lord. Be the first in my life. May every moment of my life be filled with your name. Jesus. Master and Savior of the world, make me love you. May us be quiet, please lead us in prayer for him.
Yes, Lord, we are ready to do your will. We are ready to do your will. Help us to this land. That when we feel that hunger from our appetites, help us to realize that we want more of you in our lives. That you are the center, the most important person for us. Lord, help us to say no to this materialistic comforts of this world. Give us the grace to cut our comforts and to share it with those who have none. May your grace be upon us, O Lord, as we place all our trust in you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Mary, mother of Christians, help of Christians, help us to live this land and walk closer to your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. For the grace of our Spirit, blessed are you, Lord, and blessed is the fruit of our land, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and ever. I wish all of you a very meaningful and a fruitful season of life. Lord be with you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Amen.